Well, so like I said, we're going to go ahead and continue the series on healing. This is the third part. And the first part, we talked about where does sickness come from. And we determined that the sickness does not come from God. He doesn't use it as a tool to, to try to teach you a lesson. He's not using it to course correct you. It's, uh, it's the tool of the enemy. The enemy is the only one who uses that. And, and uh, then this, yes, last week, we talked about uh, God's healing promises in the Bible. And we see all these areas where God has promised healing. And, and it's something that we can put our faith in. But today I want to talk more specifically in God's desire in each of us individually, that God wants you healed. It's not, I think sometimes we, we think that there's something about us that's unique that makes us different than everybody else. There's something in us that disqualifies us from the love of God. There's something in us that disqualifies us from the healing promises or any of the promises of God. We think that there's something that I did in my past that might make God look down at me and, and he can help everybody else but not me. There's something that I did. And, and the thing is, we all seem to think that about us uniquely. You know, it's one of those you're unique like everybody else. Everybody thinks that way. You know, they, everybody thinks that there's something in me that might disqualify me. And we tend not to talk about it or we, or we tend to hide it. And then you get with, that's why these like men's meetings and women's meetings are so important. We get together and realize that, that, that we're all being tempted in the same ways. We're having the same things affect us and we're not unique. And the enemy uses that tool to isolate you and make you think you're alone. But there is nothing in anybody's lives that makes you unlovable by God, that makes you unredeemable by God, that removes you from his promises or blessing. And the truth is, there's nothing that you've done that surprises God. God does not live in it like we do where we have to wait for time to unfold. God knows everything. There's nothing that you do where God goes, I can't believe he just did that. Oh my goodness. Did you see that, Jesus? I mean, you never have God up there like, you're not going to surprise him. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what has happened, and he knows what is going to happen. And I thank God that Jesus came to pay for all those things. And also, God cares for you individually. I think a lot of times we look at, at stuff in the Bible and, and we see that, oh, you know, even, even salvation. It says, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that, you know, that he gave his only son. And we say, oh, but God so loved the world. We kind of to, to rationalize that. And I think we talked about this before. You know, if uh, the, guy, the story about the guy who read in the paper said, hey, look at this. The, the millionaire died and he left his, his estate, his entire million-dollar you know, million estate to, to some person. And you're like, ah, oh, that's no big, that happens all the time. You know, he just gave it to somebody. But, but no, the, if you read, no, but that person is you, now it makes a difference because he's talking about you. And I think we do that with the Bible too. God so loved the world, though. He loved the world generally, but maybe not me. Maybe there's something about me. But I want to look at today that, that God is a concern for each and, us, each and every one of us individually. And his desire is to, to heal you. And we look at Luke 12, 6 through 7. And he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than sparrows. I mean, God knows you individually so much that he knows every single hair on your head. I mean, that, that really just blows me away when I think about that, that God cares so deeply about me that he knows even the tiniest little things. And it's scary in some ways because even your spouse doesn't know the tiniest little things about you. The person that's closest to you still doesn't know everything about you. And in a lot of ways, we're afraid to tell people everything about us because we're afraid that they would just run screaming. Ah! 
God will run away from us, you know. But that's not how God looks at us. He sees everything in despite of everything in our lives. He loves us, and he never runs away. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then I was reading in the Psalms, in Psalm 139.16, David says this. He says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Before you were born, before you were, you know, he says, before you've seen my unformed substance. Some of them talk about before I was even in my mother's womb. It's how this is translated. Before, before I was even a thought, God says, he says that in your book we're all written. Every one of my days was ordained. So God has a plan for you and you individually. God has a plan for each and every one of us. You know, we think that maybe we don't matter to this world, but God has a plan for you to reach people. He has a plan for you to share the gospel and to touch people's lives. You know, there's, there's going to be people that will only hear about Jesus because of you. There are going to be people that will only hear about this life that Jesus, that God has for them, that they can be redeemed and, and pure and holy, that they can live in good health because of you. God has plans for you individually. And that makes a difference when we think about not just God has plans for the world, but he has a plan for each and every one of us. So the first thing we, have to, we need to look at in this, this will for our life is that, that God's will is to heal. We have to understand that, that this is what God wants to do. He wants us to be whole. And in Psalm 103.3, it says, Who pardons all your, and this is speaking of God, who pardons all of your inequities, who heals all your diseases. And one, I, want, I think this is important because I think a lot of times we look at, at what God does and, and we're like, you know, maybe God will take care of a headache and a cold, but, you know, if I've got something really bad, you know, he's probably not going to deal with that. Or this, this problem might be too big for God. But I want you to know there's no problem that is too big for God. There is nothing going on in our lives. And it says, who heals all of your diseases, not just the very least of them, not just the very worst of them, not just the very common diseases, or not just the diseases that, that science doesn't even know yet. We're not sure what's going on. But he heals all of your diseases. And we all know, we already talked about it. he pardons all of your inequities, all the sin and failure in our life. In Jesus, he, he takes care of all of that. But what's most important that he heals all of our diseases. We have to understand that there's nothing too big for God. And in Matthew 9.35, it says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. There was nothing that God couldn't take care of. And then we see in Psalm 147.3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You know, this psalm, this is talking about a time when, when for, the, for the Jews, the, the Medes and the Persians had captured them in Babylon in about 539 B.C. And then in 537 B.C., Cyrus issued a decree permitting the Jews to return to their land. So Zerubbabel uh, and a large band of exiles went back to Judah, and they actually rebuilt the temple. And then Nehemiah came in 444 B.C., and he restored all the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. So at this time, Jerusalem is being rebuilt, and that's where this comes from. And it says he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. And we look at this, this idea of this restoration of the Jewish people at the time, and ultimately it would, it would ultimately be fully restored in Jesus. It says he heals the brokenhearted. I want you to know that all sickness in our life does not necessarily have to be due to a bacteria or a virus. You know, some people are dealing with sickness because their, 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 their hearts are just broken. They have no hope. Or there's, you know, there's uh, emotional 
sickness. There's emotional needs that have been happening. Have, have you ever seen somebody uh, that's been abandoned as a child and they have to, to work through those issues as they get older? There's an emotional drain. You know, a healing is not just for the physical. It's not just for the cough or cold or cancer, but even for that thing. Jesus died to make us whole in every area of our lives. You know, there's a reason that we refer to God as the great physician. Have you ever heard that, that God is the great physician? You guys have all heard that? How many of you thought that's in the Bible somewhere? I did. I know there's a time when I thought that was in the Bible. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it call him the great physician. Jesus referred to himself as a physician once. He says, uh, he says you know, the, 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 the sick don't need a physician. And then one time he said that he was mocking them and he was going to say, I know you're going to say to me, physician, go heal yourself. That's the only time, that's actually the only time physician's mentioned in the New Testament at all by Jesus. Or God's not referred to as a great physician. So where does that come from? Why, why is that such a common thread that we all hear? Because I know I've heard it, and to be honest with you, I really thought it was in there. And I started looking, and it's not. But it's because, one, God created the creators. He knows our ins and outs. He knows everything about The reason he's called the great physician is because he knows how we work. And if you look through the Bible, and we've looked at a lot of verses, and I know I gave you a lot more verses than I've talked about on, on Sunday about God's healing. I mean, that's God's will is to heal. And, and any physician, if you talk to any doctor, ultimately, the reason they got into this was to help people, to make them well, to make them better. And that's the, the attitude and, the, and the, the, the heart that we see in God. And then we see that, you know, Jesus never turned a person down. He always healed them. And that's why we called God the great physician. That's where it comes from. Not because he was ever given that title specifically, but because we see that in him. Because you've ever heard, you know that you are what you do. We see God doing, and that's how we know who he is. And then... Finally, it says that the, those he healed, those, those who fall into this promise, the, the brokenhearted and the, the ones that are bound up, are those who returned to, to God, who returned. They, they were no longer being rebellious, but they returned to the God who loved them. And for us today, that's those of us who have come to Jesus. Anyone who comes to Jesus has this healing in, in, the, in the death and burial of, of Jesus and his resurrection. Anyone who returns falls into this promise. Anyone who returns back to God. It's like the, the prodigal son. You remember the story of the prodigal son who, who left and he took his inheritance and, and he just parted it away and he left everything. And we see he's out there and, and he's feeding, slopping some pigs. He has to get this terrible job just to live because he squandered away his entire inheritance. And we see that he's, he's looking at the pigs and he's like, man, my father's slaves are treated better than these pigs. What I would give to have the food these pigs are given. I'm going to go home and be a slave to my father so that I can at least live. And he gets home and, and the father sees him from far away coming off and the father begins to run towards him. And in this culture, that is an incredibly undignified act. I mean, men do not run in the Hebrew culture because you have to show that you're that you're serene and that you're mature and and focused and you know you go running like that they're going to think you're crazy and what's going on with this guy so he sees his son and he just he just drops all fronts all social views of him he doesn't care he's running to his son and he accepts him and he puts a fine coat on him and he puts a ring on his finger and he slaughters the fattened calf and it's just like us when we return to god 
when we return to him, he heals the broken heart. He binds up our wounds. He puts a coat on us and gives us a ring. And, and he loves us just like we had never left. There's nothing in between us and him. And that's how we are. God's will is for you to be whole. And then we look in Hosea 6.1. It says, Come let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. This is actually a scripture referring to the Messiah. Matter of fact, if we look at verse 2, I actually should have put it up there, but in verse 2 it says, He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Does that sound familiar to any other story that we know? You know, this is done in Jesus that he will heal us and he will bandage us. I almost thought they said bondage us for a second. That's not right. You know, and, and Paul actually references this scripture in 1 Corinthians 15.4 when he says, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, the reason I, I bring this up and I want to point out this is referring to Jesus is because if you read this story uh, in the Bible in Hosea, this is, this is Israel being rebuked by God. God's saying, listen, you've turned to other gods, you're doing all kinds of stupid and now bad stuff's happening to you. You know, you, you turned away from me, and now you're, you're uh, being persecuted, and you're actually put in bondage by the, by the, the Babylonians, I think, at this time. Uh, maybe not, but they're, they're being captured and, and turned into slaves. And, you know, we, we see this often in, in, the, in the lives of, of Israel, the Jewish people. And they, they constantly come to God. God delivers them. And then as soon as they get free, they do whatever they want to do. As a nation, they do whatever they want to do. And then God says, fine, you're going to do what you want to do. You, you run from me. You basically put, put, put yourself in a position that I can't bless you. And then he lets the, the nations around them capture. That's where they get this. He has torn us. He has wounded us. Because what was happening is, is, is God required justice and it required righteousness and Jesus hadn't died yet. And that's one thing you always have to keep in mind when you're reading the Old Testament because you can get, if you don't read it in mind in light of Jesus, then you get, it's very easy to get confused. You're like, God's torn them and he, and he, and he, and he hurt them. I mean, that doesn't seem like the God that we know. But in Jesus, God took care of that. But nonetheless, the wages of sin is death. There is a price that has to be paid. And thank God that, that Jesus paid that price for us. But God would remove his hands and, and he, would, he would let people take Israel into, into bondage because they turned from him. And it happened over and over. And in this case, they're like, they think they got a plan. They got this religious plan. They got this idea. Okay, we'll, we'll come to, we'll, all right, come, let us return to him. He has torn us, but he'll heal us. They think it, they got it going. And if you actually read the story on through, God's frustrated with the people that keep coming back just to get re- redeemed and then turn away from him as soon as everything's going good. But we, we find that this is actually a reference to the Messiah. They, Hosea, by, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, actually says that, that let us return to the Lord because he will heal us. And we learn that that's actually his desire. God has already put in place a plan for us to be healed. But just like in the Jews' lives, we can do the same thing. God wants to bless us. But did you know you can put yourself in a position that you're unblessable? It's, it's very odd to think that, that we can do stuff that actually makes it. We, we tie God's hands behind his back by the, some of the things that we do. 
In Luke 13, 34, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, this is Jesus speaking, and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. See, now he's talking about the Jews. He wanted to gather them, and he wanted to pull them in, but they wouldn't have it. And it's such a an odd metaphor. He starts talking about a hen, a hen, a chicken trying to gather a chicks in. You're like, man, that seems like such a weird, a weird metaphor. What is he talking there? But if you actually envision this, you envision a mother hen gathering in her chicks with her wing. If you notice, a wing has feathers on it. They're not, they're not like our fingers that are sturdy and rigid. They're, they're, they're able to guide them. The chicks can feel it and feel them pushing them in. But if they want, they can push right through those feathers. And that's what happened to the Jew, Jewish people constantly. And that's what can happen in our lives. So even though God does want to heal us, he does want to restore us, remember that, that uh, if you turn your back on God, we actually limit his ability to work in our lives. But I'm convinced of better things to this church, and I know that's not any of you in here. So uh, we don't have to worry about that. Amen? So now we're going to look at uh, Jesus speaking. Jesus uh, in Luke 4, 18 through 22. So the backstory of this is Jesus just went home to Nazareth. He's been out. He'd already left uh, Nazareth, gone to the cities. He's been preaching and teaching. He's done quite a few miracles. And, and now he's going home. And uh, he gets to the synagogue at home, and the, and the leaders there have probably heard about what's going on, and, and they, they, they know this boy who grew up there, and he was you know just another guy, and now he's doing all these crazy things. He's healing people. He's preaching. So they're like, all right, well, he's, he's up and coming in the, in, the, in the Jewish ministry, so let's go ahead and let him read from the scroll. So they give him the scroll to read at the synagogue. And this is what he reads. He says in Luke, verse, Luke 4, verses 18 through 22, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? So, First, we have him talking about this, this scripture. And this actually is in Isaiah uh, uh, 6, 6 uh, 1 through 2. 61. I think it's chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. I got chapter 61. I'm pretty sure there's no Isaiah 61, so that's wrong. <laughs> but the scripture is, is referring to the Messiah. The Jewish people all knew what the scripture meant. The scripture was prophesying. Uh, this as the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah. And uh, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So now they're like, all right, Jesus is speaking of the Messiah. And everything's going good. And first off, what has the Messiah been sent to do? Preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And what are we captive to today? We're captive to sin. That's, that's what, 
what Jesus came today. But the problem was is that the Jewish people at the time weren't thinking of Jesus as a spiritual Messiah or a spiritual Savior. Uh, they thought of him as an as a economic and uh, political Savior. They really thought that the Messiah was going to come and free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And when Jesus came, that's not what he came as. Jesus came to not free them from a temporary worldly empire, but Jesus came to free them for eternity from all oppression, all sin, from oppression from the devil. Jesus came to do so much more, but the Jews had it in their head that this is what he was going to do. And it says in recovery of sight to the blind, that's we're getting into healing, that, that physical healing when you have something physical going on. That's what Jesus was sent to do to set free those who are oppressed. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at, at sickness often was oppression by the devil. And Jesus came to free us from that and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So he's speaking of the Messiah, and we see the difference. We see what, what they saw it as, as an economic freedom, free the captives and set those free who are oppressed. But what really Jesus came back to do was to physically and spiritually heal us and free us. So then they all know this speaks of the Messiah, and then Jesus looks at them and says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your healing. Jesus right then just blew all their minds. They're like, he's like, this is me. And they're like, but wait, you haven't freed us from, from the Roman Empire. You haven't done any of these things. And they're all amazed at what he said, and then what's the first thing they begin to do? And I've talked to this about this over and over, is they questioned his identity. Is this not Joseph's son? Didn't we grow up with him? Didn't we know him? But Jesus knew who he was and what he came to do. He came to proclaim freedom, to preach the gospel to the poor, to set us free, to heal our bodies, to free us from oppression of the devil, and to make us pure and holy. And today we have the same choice. We have the exact same choice the Jewish people did. They came and they looked at Jesus and they said, Is this not who Jesus is? Is this not who he was? Is this not Joseph's son? And people do it today. I don't know if you noticed it, but have you ever had anybody come to you and say, oh, yeah, I think Jesus lived, but he was just a good person. Or he was, a, he was just a prophet. He wasn't the son of God. He wasn't the Savior. I've heard people say that. We make the same choices today, and people today still question Jesus' identity. One of the best ways I've heard it described, though, is the three L's. We have three choices as to who Jesus is. He's either the Lord. He's either our Lord. He's either a lunatic or he's a liar. Those are our three choices. There's actually no other choice. No, I believe he was just a good man. Well, no, that's not a choice Jesus gave to you. Jesus said, I am God and I am the Savior. Jesus said these things. So that's the option. So he's either that or he's crazy. Because he could be flat out. That's, that's pretty um, impressive for someone to come out and say, I'm God. I mean, so he's either crazy or he's the Lord or he lied. So we can look at, at, at the history, secular and non-secular, in the Bible and outside of the Bible, and, and nowhere do you ever hear anybody say Jesus was deceptive or a liar. That's never, even in secular literature, when, when, uh, when that would be the perfect time for people to really call him out, he was never considered a liar, and nobody ever thought he was crazy. They thought he was blasphemous. And they wanted to kill him because of what he was saying. But no one ever said he was crazy. And no one ever said he was a liar. So we can say with confidence that he is the Lord. That's our only other choice. And that he came 
to, to release the captives and give recover the sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed. Jesus came to heal us physically, mentally, and spiritually. Amen? So then we begin to look at Jesus' life. And we see in John 5, 19, it says, Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. You know, sometimes we think that God is mysterious and that, that you know, you've ever heard of uh, God works in mysterious ways. It's really kind of silly because God's not all that mysterious. God, Jesus is perfect theology. It says right here that the Son can do nothing unless he sees the Father doing it also. But whatever the Father does, the Son also does in like manner. When we look at Jesus, we see the will of the Father. God is completely revealed in his Son. And we understand that, you know, in the Old Testament, it says they, they saw as a shadow. They saw a shadow of what was to come. But when Jesus came, we no longer see a shadow. We see God's will, God's will manifest in him. We can know what God's will is, and we can know who God is by just looking at the life of Jesus. And he says, I, I do what I see the Father doing. It's much like... It's much like your children. When you, when you remember, son, when, or George, when your sons were, were growing up, they always wanted to do what you were doing. They always wanted to be. It's, it's actually humorous and, and, to be honest with you, sometimes annoying when your son wants to do everything you're doing. But I'm, but I'm so thankful for that. And, and we see that same pattern in Jesus, except for he does it perfectly. He does it flawlessly. He doesn't, he doesn't ever sometimes do not the Father's will, like our sons might do something a little crazy. He always does what the Father's doing. And as we look through his ministry, particularly his healing ministry, he never turned anyone away from healing. Not a single person away. Because it is God's desire to have you healed, each and every individual. And we have to remember to think about this individually because you find many storms where it says, all who came to him that were sick, he healed. Everyone who came to him. And, and we get into that, oh, that's this everybody mentality. But then we see a lot of times where it's, he's speaking of an, a specific individual as they tell the story of them coming up. And just like for us, every time God sees us, he sees us individually and he has a better plan for our lives. The only time in the New Testament where he almost turned somebody away was the Canaanite woman. You remember her? She's not a Jew. She comes up and she says, Jesus, my, my, daughter's, my daughter's possessed. And Jesus is like, I came for the Jews. I, I didn't come for, here, come for you. He basically tells her, no, I, I can't do anything for you because you're not Jewish. Well, what's interesting is, is that when Jesus came, it was for the Jews. Initially, salvation was for the Jews. It was actually... Uh, their hardness of heart that makes salvation available to all the Gentiles. And I say that that's, that's how the plan unfolded. You can look in the Old Testament, and there's many scriptures that refer to the Gentiles being saved, that the people who were not a people will become his people. It was always God's plan for all of us to come in under, under Jesus and, and the blanket of salvation. It was always his plan, but the way it unfolded was because the Jews turned their back on Jesus. They turned their back on the Savior. So God's like, fine, I'll offer it to the Gentiles. They'll accept it. And uh, so this Canaanite woman comes up to him, and she's a Jew. She's not a Jew. And Jesus is like, no, I can't give this to you yet, because she basically came before the time that, that this plan was to unfold. But the interesting thing is she doesn't give up. She says, no, Lord, I'm not giving. I'm not quitting. I know your heart. She knew God's heart for healing. 
And ultimately, Jesus says, woman, your faith is great. Go, your daughter is healed. Because even in this time, even when it wasn't the specific timing for this to happen, she believed God. And she knew who he was. And his will was for, for her to be healed and her daughter to be healed as well. Amen? And I want to look at some more specific examples in Jesus' life. In Luke 5, 12 through 15, it says, While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand, touching him and saying, I would be willing if only you had gone to the synagogue more often. That's not what it says. It's so interesting. Jesus says, I am willing. He says, I am willing. Whenever you're wondering if God wants to do something in your life, remember that he is willing. He says, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. You have to understand, in this time, leprosy was a huge deal. I mean, it was... I mean, do you remember there was a time when AIDS was first getting a foothold and people had this scare that if you were even, you know, if you even brushed up against someone with AIDS, you could catch it. And, and that was nothing compared to what these folks had to do. That was, they would, be, they would be loving it if that's all that was going on with leprosy. Leprosy actually made you unclean. It made you unfit to worship God. If you, if you had leprosy, you couldn't even worship your God. You weren't allowed in the temple. Matter of fact, you weren't even allowed in the city. They made you stay outside. You had to leave your home and live out outside of the city. And then when you walked around, can you believe this? They made you carry around a bell and you, were, and you rang the bell yelling, unclean, unclean, so people could know not to get near you and not to touch you. Now, Jesus is a Jewish man. He's raised Jew, Jewish. And he, and he completely follows the Old Testament laws because he is, is honoring to his Father. And he understands that these laws, while actually giving power to sin. The laws themselves were not sinful. The laws aren't the bad thing. It's just that they give power to sin by pointing out what is wrong and then all of a sudden we're like, it's kind of like telling a kid don't jump on the, you know, don't jump on the bed and they're like, I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so they go jump on the bed. But he was still honoring to his father and to the Old Testament, to the law and, and he, he was a Jewish man and he lived it right. As a matter of fact, he lived it perfectly. He lived a perfect life. And then this, this leper comes up to him. Now, you have to understand that the willingness that Jesus displayed, because not only does he heal this guy, we're like, oh yeah, Jesus heals everybody. But touching this man, according to law, made Jesus ceremoniously unclean. It made him unclean. He couldn't even go worship God according to the Jewish law. And people saw him touching him. are going to be like, what the heck is he doing? I mean, that's, this is a big deal. For him to do that. And then even still, he still obeys the law and he says, go tell the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. If you ever want to see some crazy stuff that people had to do, especially with leprosy, read Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 and it talks about the, the procedure for one who has leprosy. So if they find a spot on your skin, it could be leprosy, a little white patch, they look at it and they send you outside the city for seven days in quarantine so now you have to leave just because you might have leprosy. And then in seven days, the priest will come back out and inspect it again. 
And if it hasn't gotten bigger, but it's still there, then make it go outside for another seven days. And then they inspect it again. And if it's gone away, then you're, you're ceremonially clean. If it hasn't gone away, if it's gotten bigger, they call you, they make you a leper. And, and now you can't come back in the city again unless you get healed. And healing of leprosy, I, I had, Naaman was healed in the Old Testament. I think there's one other case of leprosy being healed, but it's, it's not very common. Once you get leprosy, you're pretty much ostracized from the community. You, you can't do any of this. But Jesus comes to him and touches him. It doesn't say, he says, be healed from over there. It says he reaches out his hand and he touched him. The one thing that the, no Jewish man should have ever done. Jesus is, is, is so willing to touch your life, to heal you, that there's nothing, even something is for them as bad as leprosy. You can think of anything in our society today. What's the worst thing that you could do? And Jesus is willing to reach past that and touch your life because he wants you to be whole. Amen? <clears throat> and then in Matthew 8, 5 through 7, here's another story of Jesus healing somebody. And it says, When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Once again, someone comes to Jesus for healing. He says, I will come. When you ask God to come, he will always come. He will always reach out and touch you. And this is a, a Roman centurion. He's actually in charge of a hundred soldiers. And uh, he's got a servant. And that's it's sick and he's lying paralyzed. He's being, says he's, he's fearfully tormented by what's going on. This guy's got a bad right now. And this centurion, who's was actually very unique because the Jews don't hate him. You know, at that time, pretty much the Jumans hate, hate the, the Jumans. <laughs> the mix between the Jews and the Romans, I guess. Hey, there we go. There's my one mark this week. But the, the Jewish people hated Roman soldiers because they were usually very harsh on them. They treated them badly. But this one, the Jewish community actually liked. He actually built them a synagogue so that they could worship God. He was a godly man. And actually, if you read the other Gospels, the account of this, it says that, that the Jewish elders went to go talk to, uh, to Jesus, and it actually wasn't him himself. Um, you have to understand in Hebrew culture that if you send a messenger, that's the same as you talking, which is why it's referred to as the centurion coming here, but in the other scriptures, it was the Jewish elders. But the Jews liked this guy so much that their elders were willing to come and implore Jesus to heal him. And Jesus said, I will come. It didn't matter that he wasn't Jewish. It didn't matter anything about this guy. And what's really interesting to me is, is this guy is, is himself operating with a, a heart similar to God's because if you're this high in power and you just have a servant, I mean, servants were a dime a dozen to this guy. He could have just got another one. But he understood that, that, there is, that health and life is, is worth more than your position, that, that this servant had value. No matter that he was a, a, a servant or he was a centurion or, or a any of those things. I mean, he understood that no matter what his position, he had value, and Jesus did as well. Jesus never said, you know, maybe if you were a little bit higher, higher statue in life, or, or you know, you made a little bit more money, or or you weren't poor, or you weren't a slave, then I'd come heal you. No, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And remember, that's the same in your life. Jesus is always willing to come. Amen. <clears throat> And it's every individual matters to God. This is a, a really interesting story. This is the story of the, the, the demoniacs that were in the, the tomb there in Gerasene. 
And what we see first in Mark 4, 35 through, through 36 is that on that day, in verse 35 it says, On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. The reason I point this out is Jesus has already got a huge crowd. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's ministering to them. And, you know, he's doing what Jesus did. He loved people. He loved to touch their lives. But then he says, when evening came, he said to them, to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. I mean, why is he leaving this large group of people he's been ministering? He's touching their lives. What would draw Jesus away? There must be a bigger crowd on the other side. There must be even more people that he can reach on the other side. But as we continue to read, we find that's not the case at all. In Mark 5, verses 1 through 5, it says, They came to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gnashing himself with stones. This guy had it bad. This guy is possessed. We find out in the story later that uh, when Jesus talks to him, the, the demons actually talk through this guy. And he says, what's your name? And he says, I am Legion, for we are many. A Roman Legion is 2,000 plus soldiers. This guy called this demon, this group of demons, calls themselves Legion. This dude has t over 2,000 demons living inside of him, tormenting him day and night. They actually make him strong enough that nobody can bind him. And you know, the, the terrible part about this as we look at this story is that what does society do when they have somebody that's hurt and struggling, when somebody that's, that's being tormented day and night, they throw him in the tomb and shackle him up. They just throw him away. To, 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 this, to these people, he was garbage. He wasn't worth dealing with. Now Jesus, preaching to a large crowd, and he comes all the way across this sea for this one man. When we read here, this is all he does is he frees these demoniacs in this tomb. And that's all he does. Jesus came, left all those people that he had already touched for one man. He came, like I said, I will come. I am willing. He came to heal this man. And he, he casts the demons out of this man. He forces them to leave. And there's so many interesting things in this story. You know, we, we see that, that the demons said, Son of man, what are you doing here? You know, what, why are you here? We see that demons actually don't know what God's plan is. They had no idea why God was there. He's like, wait a minute, it's not time yet. We thought we knew what was going on. And then we see him cast out. Uh, he sends these demons into the pigs, which is a strange thing to me because you're like, why would Jesus do that? Why would he destitute somebody? This is this somebody's herd. And I was reading on it because it's, it's something that seems kind of strange. You know, was, was, uh, was he going to take care of them? Was he going to pay for the pig? I mean, what, what's going on there? And they suspect that this is actually the land of the Gentiles. They suspect these weren't Jewish men because, well, if it was Jewish men, they shouldn't have been hurting a, a, a thing of pigs. And I guess that would be a reason enough to them breaking the, the Jewish law to, you know, pigs run clean. But they say it was probably the Gentiles who were raising these pigs. So why did he do it? And one, one uh, uh, commentary on it was, you know, the, what it showed was is it gave these men who have been tormented, and, and the other Gospels uh, refer to two different men that were actually uh, possessed. It showed these men that something had happened. 
You know, it wasn't just someone saying, you're free, but they physically were able to see the demons leave them and enter these pigs, and they were able to see their, their freedom. And these men, you know, finally they're like, can we follow you, Jesus? And Jesus is like, no, you can't follow me. Basically, you've been away from your families for who knows how long out here. You need to go spend time with your families. You need to, to reunite with them. But, you know, such a strange thing that God would make a trip just for this one or two men that were here. But is it so strange? Is it, is it really strange? It's not, because God has a plan for each and every one of you. These guys had it bad. I mean, they were... This is the, the dregs of society. This is, these people were doing terrible things because they were influenced by demons, but they're, they're doing bad things, and, and they were shunned and thrown away by society. And then even after that, these people drive me, and it drives me crazy, not so much because they did it, we see it and we learn, but because you see it today, too, that these people were more concerned with the pigs than these men's lives. They see these men clothed now, sitting in their right mind, talking normally, you would think that people would rejoice for life being restored, but you know what they do? They tell Jesus to leave because of the pigs. They were more they were more concerned with the pigs than were these men's lives. Well, I want you to know that God's more concerned with your life than anything else going on in this world, amen, and your wholeness. Then we're going to look at another another few scriptures and uh, where it talks about Jesus is healing them all. We talked about Jesus is perfect theology. So we look at Jesus and we know what the will of the Father is. In Matthew 12, 15 it says, But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him and he healed them all. Once again, he healed every single one of them. And then in Matthew 14, 14 it says, When he went ashore he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. God cares about you. He feels compassion for you. He sees, you know, we never have to go, God, don't you see what I'm going through? God knows what you're going through, and he cares about you, and he's always working in your life. And in Matthew 15, 30 through 31, it says, And large crowds came to him, bringing with him those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And he laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, the blind singing, and they glorified the God of Israel. We always can look at Jesus' life and know what the will of God is. God wills for us all to be healed. He wills for each and every one of us individual to be made well. And the only other thing I really wanted to point out is the natural result of God working in our lives and our lives should always be worship. It says they glorified the God of Israel. They realized that something significant and impactful in these people's lives were happening and in their own lives and they worshiped God. And then we see Jesus sending off his disciples. And in Matthew 10, 7 through 8, this is Jesus sending off his 12 disciples. This is the first time he sends them out. And he says, as you go, in verse 7, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you received, freely you give. This is the apostles' mission, was to go out and basically do the same thing Jesus was. The apostles' mission was Jesus' mission, which is our mission. They went out and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Today, we go out and say that redemption is yours, that wholeness is yours. Jesus died for your sins, that he made you whole. We preach the forgiveness of sin. At this time, Jesus had not died yet. They, they said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is here. But Jesus commanded them to heal the sick, 
raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. Jesus gave them this authority, and he gave it to them freely. Not only did he give them the authority, which he told them to, to freely give as you have received, but Jesus also worked the same stuff in these, men, in these men's lives. You know, he says, you've received this same thing. You've received wholeness. Now you give it as you've received it. And it's our job as well. It's our job to tell the world about Jesus as we have freely received. We need to make it possible for them to freely receive as well. Amen. So then we look at the next scripture here and say, well, that's just the apostles. That's not us. That's just the apostles. But this is in, uh, in Luke 10.1. He's talking about the, the 70 others. So now we're talking about Jesus' whole group of, of disciples. In Luke 10.1 it says, Now after this the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city to, to in place where he himself was going to come. And then we find out, and the, the instructions continued in verses 8 through 9, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. You know, this, this, sometimes we like to pigeonhole what God says in the Bible. It's not, I've said it before, but it's not affecting us. You know, this is, oh, this is just for the apostles. This is just for those who walked with Jesus, healing and, and the power of God and the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, it was just for the New Testament church. You know, there's just the church in Acts. It's not for us today. But I want you to know that, <clears throat> that it is God's will for you to be whole today. That it is God's will for you to go out and heal the sick. It's God's will for you to go out and raise the dead. Raise the dead, that's pretty crazy. And we talked about in the last verse, raise the dead. I was watching, um, or I've, I've read about, heard about, and actually watched a small video on, on a man, and I don't know how long, as you might know Joseph, the, the, the guy who died, and they brought him to a revival meeting and took him down in the basement. Do you remember when that was? Dead for three days. And the, the wife was like, she wasn't having it. She was, she was believing God for a miracle. They took him downstairs, and the men began to pray over him. They began working his limbs. He'd been dead for three, three days. He was already stiff. And they began working his joints and working his legs, and he came back to life. And but that's but that's not for today. This happened not too long ago. You know, this this power of God is real and it's evident today and it's for our lives. And we have the power to heal and cast out demons and, and we even have the power to raise the dead if we would just believe it, if we would just hold on to that kind of faith. And then in Acts 28 through 26, I want to point out that it's not just for the Jews. In Acts 28 through and 28, 26 through 28, verse 26 says, Say, going to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And this is referring to the Jewish people. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. You know, Paul is quoting from Isaiah in chapter six when he says, "Chapter six when he says this, and he says that the Holy Spirit spoke this through the prophet Isaiah, and he prophesied that the Jewish people would harden their hearts and they wouldn't hear them, and it would actually." inhibit his ability, ability to heal them. He said, if they would hear me, I would heal them. But they've hardened their hearts, so I cannot. Therefore, I'm now offering this salvation to the Gentiles. And that's, that's you and I. That's basically, the Gentiles refers to everybody that's not Jewish. So we have this salvation for him. If we turn to God by accepting Jesus, 
he will heal us, just like it says here. You know, it's the, do you guys remember the parable of, uh, of the, the wedding party that Jesus says that uh, a great king is having a wedding feast and a great dinner party, and he sends out to his friends, and his friends begin to make excuses. One says, oh, I've just bought land, and I have to go see it. Apparently, he went and bought this land without going to take a look. So after he bought it, he's going to go check it out. He's using that as an excuse to, to, to uh, leave God. And the other one says, oh, no, I've just bought some oxen. I have to go try them out. So this guy went and bought some oxen and figured that he would go plow his field over having dinner with his king. And the last one says, oh, I've just gotten married, so I cannot come. You know, he's putting something else in front of the king, you know, this, this, having this feast. And he says, so the king says, fine. He tells the servants, go out into the city streets and invite all the beggars and the crippled and the lame to come in for dinner. And they come in and the tables still aren't full. And he says, fine, go out into the highways and the byways and along the hedges and, and gather everybody in. And basically, that was the Jews. The Jews all had something better going on. They thought they knew what was going on. They, they thought that the Messiah was going to come and heal them and f- free them from the Romans. And they, they hardened their hearts. And they turned their eyes away. And they wouldn't hear with their ears. And God brought this salvation. All these promises that we've been reading are available to us today. Amen. And the last verse that I want to look at, last verses, is that he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. In Hebrews 13, verses 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This is one you should highlight in your Bible and remember it and quote it often. And in Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Jesus is not changing. Jesus wasn't one way when he was walking the earth, and then now that he's went to heaven, he's changed his mind. God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent. Repent there, in other translations, that he would change his mind. Basically, repent is that, that about face. He's never going to change what he said to you. And we see that God's will is to heal, and God knows you individually. And not only does he want to heal us corporately, but he wants you individually healed and made well. And that's not going to change today. That's not going to change tomorrow. That's not going to change based on whether you go to church every Sunday or whether you tithe enough. It's not going to change whether you read your Bible enough. We don't, we don't subscribe to a religion that's, that's based on, on a, a, you know, a checklist system where if you've done a certain amount of things, it's not like the old days when, you, uh, when the kids you know, used to sell the little, the little trinkets and stuff. And if they, sold, if they sold this many, they could get this prize. And if you sold this many, now you can get this prize. Or, you know, like at Peter Piper, if you get enough tickets, you get into these different tiers. I mean, we're not in a Peter Piper religion. We're not putting quarters into a machine to see how well we can do. God doesn't change. He loves us the same no matter what. And this healing that we've talked about is for you, and it always will be for you. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what is our responsibility in this healing. Because ultimately, the choice is ours. Do we believe what God says? Do we believe that he'll do what he says he's going to do? Because that's, that's our options. God doesn't change. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change. We either believe him or we don't. So next week, we're going to talk about our responsibility in healing. And it's probably the most important of all these four. These, these last three sermons have laid the foundation of, of where sickness comes from and who God is and what his desires are. And next week, we're going we're gonna to wrap it all up and bring it together. And we're going to show you how you can be healed and made whole and what is our responsibility in this healing. Amen?
Let's go ahead and, uh, and bow our heads.